From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Monday, July 8th, 2019. All right. Sean Davidson and I were deep in a podcast, weren't we, Sean? Wonderfully. Super deep in a podcast, talking about, talking about all kinds of things. And then the podcast got lost. It is the worst feeling a podcast host can have. So welcome to the Efficiency Podcast, presented by Malfunctioning Technology. All right, we're going to do quick hits. So this is what this is going to be. And quick hits meaning we're going to go on a topic and we're going to talk about it. You can talk about it for as long as you want, but we're just going to hit that topic and move on to the next one. Does this sound good? Sounds good to me. It's like an emergency nine holes where you got to play quickly because you know the sun's setting. Yet we're up against no time limit. Or if you're in the sunshine state, you know that it's not really sunshiny and you know there's about to be a thunderstorm rolling in as there is right now. Yes. So you've got rain issues. I've got technology issues. Let's do it. You were in Omaha for the College World Series. Your thoughts or whatever you want people to know about... The College World Series, Omaha, and Florida State men's bat, uh, 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 baseball. Yeah. So, first thing, Omaha is a fantastic city. Um, right in the middle of America's heartland. Uh, a lot of really wonderful people that treat you like a million bucks because they know what you're there for. And the World Series is kind of the engine that makes Omaha go throughout the rest of the year. And I... I hope I'm not taking too broad of a step or, or, or whatnot to discredit everything else that happens in Omaha, but it's huge. Every single year, it's a 20,000-person stadium that is filled to capacity every single day for every single game. Uh, the economic impact, you can see it. Uh, everything's concise. You can get around easily. It's super safe, and it's really a celebration of great baseball. Fans from different teams who didn't even make it to Omaha are there just to watch the kids play. That was me last year. This year I got to go with Florida State, who is, you know, the years of me being on this podcast, I'm sure your listeners know that, you know, my other gig is that I do play-by-play, and I do a lot of it with the FSU baseball team. So being able to go this year with a team, getting to work a little bit, and also getting to sit back and watch them and root them on and, and really enjoy the last ride for our legendary head coach, Mike Martin, was something that I didn't expect to do. I expected to be with the softball team in OKC. They brought back a national championship roster, didn't lose a person, and that roster ended up getting bounced before they had the chance to get to OKC. It just sort of happened, and I'm always going to be thankful for it because Mike Martin is a living legend. To win 40 baseball games a year in the college setup um, every year for 40 years, and to churn out great kids athletically and individually as people every single year, um, and this year being no different, is something to behold. He had 2,029 wins. You will never see that mark beaten by any coach in any sport at the NCAA level unless they drastically increase the number of games that are played in any of those different sports, Um, and I don't see that ever happening because these kids have to go to school. Um, it, it really is a top-notch setup out there in Omaha. Didn't go the way I wanted it to go out there, but I enjoyed, believe me, every single second for the second year in a row. If you're a fan of baseball, you have to go 
to Omaha one year to watch the College World Series. It's a party and a national championship all mixed into one, and it goes fantastically well. It's a top-of-the-line deal out there. Go check it out. All right. Gary Woodland wins the U.S. Open. We saw this coming. Long hitter, powerful game. It was all about the short game. He's gone through a lot off the course personally with tragedy and triumph. Um, you know, the, the triumph being the healthy kid that he has. He obviously lost one in that tragic miscarriage of, of the twins. He's got another baby on the way. Um, but it was all about the short game and the putting. We all knew he was talented. That chip on 17 at Pebble was the perfect summation of what a lot of us, including you on this podcast after the PGA, saw coming. You know, Gary has been the guy who's had all the tools for a while. And, you know, I, re I remember leading up to him winning his first major. And don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to draw any direct parallels here. I just want to talk about before he won his first. You know, you were asking me a lot about Brooks Kepka in a time when nobody was really talking about the kid. And I was because for one year, the highlight of my athletic career was sharing a putting green at the Seminole Golf Course with Brooks Kepka while I was a student and he was about to embark on his professional career. But I could see then that Brooks was a guy who had all the tools. And in much that same respect, you can see that Gary was a guy who had all the tools to do what he did at Pebble. And Brooks had only won once on the PGA Tour, let's be frank, before he won that U.S. Open. And then he wins the U.S. Open, and the rest, as they say, is history. And I'm not going to put those expectations on Gary Woodland. That would be irresponsible and reckless of me. But what I'm getting at here is there's, there's a lot of people, the casual golf viewers, who might just watch the four tournaments plus whichever cup happens to be happening that year, um, a year that would not immediately recognize Gary Woodland's name no sooner than they would have Brooks Kepka's name back in 2017. But he has all the tools. He has an amazing story, um, one of tragedy and heartbreak and perseverance and overcoming those things. And for him to win a major on Father's Day, no less, uh, he was due for a big win. He was due for a star turn. It's not going to change him the least. He's one of the best dudes out there on tour. Um, could not be happier for Gary Woodland. And I surely hope, and I definitely think he'll win another major, but I surely hope this is the beginning of a new level, of a new chapter of his playing career, where he really harnesses everything his game is capable of. The chip on 17 on Sunday when Brooks Koepka was putting together that incredible run. Um, I don't think you'll ever see a two-time defending champion defend his two titles better than Brooks Koepka did at Pebble Beach. Um, threw everything at Gary Woodland, and his nerves were tested on that chip across the green at 17, and he came through beautifully. And, um, you know, good for him. Good for him. We're talking to Sean Davison. Um, Matthew Wolf, Colin Morikawa, 31 and 30, respectively, on the back nine yesterday at the 3M Open. Bryson makes Eagle. These young kids, these studs, they come out there and they're ready to play. It's mind-boggling. It is mind-boggling that here we are in the United States of America on the PGA Tour Golf's biggest stage, and these kids at 20 and 22, whatever Brooks, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, whatever Bryson is, sorry, 23, 22, 24, whatever it is, um, just keep turning it on and turning it on and turning it on. 
And for Matt Wolf to have the swagger for his assistant coach back in college uh, to say you've won more than anybody else in contention if he can't his college wins, for Matt to believe it and to go out there with the funky swing, to believe in it, trust in it, get it on plane and do the job, so impressive. You know, you mentioned the two. I mean, you mentioned all three of them at the top of the leaderboard, but you got it. I mean, Colin Morikawa shoots 30 on the back nine of the PGA Tour event straight out of college on those initial sponsor exemptions that some of these tournaments give the kids that have earned it through their high-level play that we are now accustomed to seeing through Golf Channel's fantastic NCAA tournament coverage. Um, you know, you, you see the Colin Morikawa's continue championships and play great at the Western Intercollegiate and they more or less earn those sponsor exemptions upon graduation that way. Same story, Matthew Wolf winning a national championship last year, winning the individual title this year. Bryson DeChambeau won an individual title at the NCAA tournament a few years ago. He's 25. He was the grizzled vet among those three guys. He was a multiple PGA Tour winner, uh, multiple tournament winner on the PGA Tour, I should say. And <laughs> not a single guy missed the shot down the stretch. Not a single one of them. I don't think any of them made a bogey on the back nine. I mean, it was the perfect situation for any one of the three to fold. And none of them did. And that is so incredibly special for this wave of golfers. And what I want to make sure we get right here, because I feel like any time a group of kids comes out of college, we are quick to label them, or just people in general are quick to label them the next generation now, Jordan Spieth is 26. Bryson DeChambeau, we threw in that Jordan Spieth group because Bryson will be turning 26 in September. I've heard rumblings of, oh, the new wave. These kids are six years younger in Matthew Wolf's case, four years in Colin Morikawa. What I think it really is is just this onslaught of kids coming out of college and playing incredible golf in their 20s and setting themselves up for having incredibly long and prosperous careers at the PGA Tour and credit to their coaches at their respective schools um, for getting them prepared for this sort of deal. Um, major tip of the cap to Matthew Wolf with the ultimate walk-off um, out there in Minnesota. And wow, for 3M, for Blaine, Minnesota, for TPC Twin Cities, for everybody involved in turning that PGA Tour Champions event into a PGA Tour event, you watch three names, one that's become a superstar in the last year or two with two kids who have cemented themselves as future superstars, and they've kind of arrived now, so it's kind of hard to say that they're going to be future ones when they've announced their presence to this degree on this stage this soon. Um, wow. I mean, it, it checks the boxes of everything they could have hoped for up there in Minnesota, and it really cements that the PGA Tour is in the healthiest place it's been in years. Think about it. You have Tiger Woods winning a major. You have Brooks Koepka, a younger guy, continuing a string of dominance in majors. Phil Mickelson wins a tournament. So you've got two guys, legends in their 40s winning tournaments. You've got a young guy like Brooks Koepka winning a major. You've got Gary Woodland, kind of an in-betweener at this point in time, but he's still younger than a lot of people would think winning a major. And now you've got kids straight out of college winning tournaments. I mean, the full range of ages is on display, and lost in all of it is the fact that Tom Lehman at the age of 60 made the cut and played pretty darn good golf all week long up there. So you've got a guy at the age of 60 making the cut in sporadic PGA Tour events. It's, the game of golf is in such a good place right now, 
and I cannot wait to see the momentum it carries, not just in the Royal Port Rush, but in the full season to come. It's going to be fascinating. Going to be absolutely fascinating. Tiger um, is an interesting subject. He was very open about his medical uh, conditions after um, the uh, after Pebble and the U.S. Open, and basically said, "I don't know what I'm going to have when I wake up in the morning." And I feel like he's a horrible fantasy play, but we can fantasize about him having wonderful runs at Glory. Um, once again, and who knows, maybe it'll be Port Rush, even in cooler weather. Um, it's fascinating. It's really fascinating to look at Tiger as a specimen right now because you just don't know what you're going to get on any given day. You know, I, I love the word you use there, in specimen, because the bottom line is, is before we started talking about Gary Woodlands and Brooks Kepka and Rory McIlroy the way we do about them being physical specimens, that was the kind of brand of golf that Tiger Woods, and of course Gary Player, who's still a physical specimen in and of himself, um, kind of fashioned. I mean, Tiger Woods came on tour and within a few years became the ripped, bulging muscle, overpowering golf horses, I mean, Augusta had to de-tiger itself. I mean, it, it was, he started doing things on courses that we hadn't seen, just through raw strength and athleticism. And it just sort of turned the page, if you will, into a new generation of golfers where that's becoming the norm out there. And the bottom line now is Tiger Woods has had, what, four back surgeries now, an onslaught of knee surgeries. He's had an Achilles tendon issue. Um, he's had the bulky neck as well. I mean, he, he's a 43-year-old where, aside from the number of surgeries being atypical, having a bad neck, having a bad back, having a bad knee, having a bad ankle, kind of par for the course for anybody that's approaching their 40s. And he's a very old 43 physically. And A, it's kind of shocking how quick that happened because it seems like just yesterday he was the kid that was overpowering courses and just dominating tournaments left and right. To, he's the guy that, I don't want to say it's ceremonially playing in tournaments because he's winning the Masters, for crying out loud. But you can't come to expect him to overpower courses and fields overall the way he used to. But what he is still doing, aside from the PGA this year, is making cuts. He's usually good for at least one or two rounds, two good rounds in a tournament. Uh, we saw one pretty darn good round at the end of the U.S. Open that makes you raise an eyebrow as you go into Royal Port Rush. Um, but he's 43 years old, and an accumulation of surgeries and injuries and so on and so forth have kind of taken their toll on him. But the word you also used that I like there was open. And this year, I feel, and last year as well, and frankly, since the surgery, so you can even go back into 2017, late 2017 or so, Tiger's been so much more open about his physical strength, his condition, his ailments, and it's all easier to believe now. And I think that comes from just the genuine appreciation to be playing again, to be going into press conferences and fielding those questions because he's somebody who's still out there. And that wasn't something that we necessarily thought might happen again. And to see him out there enjoying his golf and playing extremely good golf on a, I guess you could say, sporadic basis, but, you know, going back to last year, contending pretty regularly, hasn't quite done that this year. 
but it's still good for a wow kind of tournament here and there. You know, if you have two or three, four wild tournaments a year, that's a really darn good year by anybody's standards. And that might be the new standard for Tiger Woods now. You never know. But the words he used when he could only really walk post-surgery was, everything else is gravy from here. And I think that same line is true in a different respect. Because now he's completed the comeback. He won the Tour Championship. He won a major. And of all majors, the Masters. And we're sitting here talking about a 43-year-old who's had an onslaught of issues physically, especially recently. And I don't want to say we're trying to figure out what's wrong, but it's like, yeah, this is not the same Tiger Woods, and we're discussing why it's not the same. Yeah, that's why it's not the same. And just the fact that he's out there and he's putting himself in a position to contend on a semi-regular basis, and he's coming through more often than not now in those situations, um... Wow. It's a different level of gravy, but I still think that same mindset applies. Everything else is gravy from here. It's just gravy on top of gravy on top of gravy at this point. Um, yeah, gravy on top of gravy on top of gravy on top of gravy. It, uh, that's a good way to put it. Um, as we sit here now, uh, and by the way, just a couple... Uh, I'm, I'm going to get into some... Uh, some inside baseball golf here uh, for you. So if you don't like inside baseball golf, skip ahead a couple uh, a couple minutes here in this uh, telecast because uh, in this podcast because we're gonna go through some stuff. Um, Victor Hovland, who you brought up in our first go around of this podcast, has 121 non-member FedEx Cup points. That w- that's equivalent to 180 on the FedEx Cup points list. If he stays within the top 200, he goes to the web.com tour finals, which is what any of these guys are hoping for. Now, Doc Redman and Colin Morikawa have had high finishes in recent, recent weeks. What that allows you to do is start thinking bigger. Doc has 344 non-member FedEx Cup points. Colin has 334. That's good enough to be 114th and 116th, uh, respectively, on the FedEx Cup points list. If you stay within the top 125 after Wyndham, you get your PGA Tour card. You can't compete in the playoffs, but you get your Tour card, um, which they will happily do and happily walk into rookie orientation with their uh, mouths uh, happily smiling. It just shows you one week can change everything. Victor Hovland's put together these great Sundays, may have saved his season and given him the opportunity to A, get this special temporary membership and then move on to, you know, get enough points to either make the web finals or get his card. Sorry, Corn Ferry finals, excuse me. I'm still trying to get the Corn Ferry tour. Um, this I'm is, yeah, it's a whole new thing. And look, for Doc and Colin, you get one or two more just anything finishes. You get, you know, you get nearly 20 points here, 30 points there, 40 points there. We're talking top 30, top 40 finishes. Just accumulate enough points, and you're going to stay within the top 125 and get your card. It's, It's an amazing opportunity these guys have. And it would be amazing to see them make it out on the PGA Tour, considering the level of golf we've seen from them. Um, wow. 
young kids making the most of the handful of opportunities that they do have. Um, and we're going to hear a lot from Victor Hovland and Matthew Wolf and Colin Morikawa over the years to come. And I would not rule Victor Hovland out if he has a couple more exemptions that are coming his way of earning his way to that same exact category where you mentioned um, Morikawa is sitting at, and of course Doc Redman as well after that fantastic Sunday, and really the entire week that he had at Rocket Mortgage. Um, it's just, it's a, like I mentioned earlier, it's an onslaught of really talented young golfers coming out of the college ranks, winning some really big amateur titles. Redmond won a USAM. Uh, Bryson, just to go back to Bryson, won a USAM, won the NCAA individual. Hovland, the USAM, and a national championship. Uh, Matthew Wolf, an NCAA individual title, and then, of course, the national championship. I mean, you look at the pedigrees, and to an extent, whenever you're talking about the Oklahoma State assistant coach telling Matthew Wolf you've won more than anybody else in this situation, and you're looking at a leaderboard full of guys who just recently finished college that you probably competed against. I know Matthew Wolf was 20, so he didn't really compete against a lot of these other guys aside from Colin. Um, but you're looking at a leaderboard full of young guys that have just earned their PGA Tour card or are in the same kind of boat that you're in, and you know you can beat them. It's just a different level and a different stage. I mean, we're really setting ourselves up for something special here. And if those kids earn their PGA Tour cards this quickly, good for them. And frankly, good for the game. Yeah, good for the game indeed. Ches Reeve wins in Hartford, um, which was a great win for him. Nate Lashley, that amazing story um, in, in his life journey. Uh, Rory winning in Canada, Patrick Cantley at Memorial, Kevin Na at Colonial. Those are the wins that have happened on tour since we last convened. Pick one of those wins. So one of Na, Cantley, Rory, Reavy, Lashley. That's that you want to talk about. You know, I'll just go back one week and, uh, you know, I laugh when I say this because I feel like Jim Nance is always the guy that, that finds the most succinct and profound ways to put big moments into perspective. And he did an amazing job of that at Augusta National this year. But, you know, at the Rocket Mortgage, the line that stuck with me most was one that we heard from Sir Nick as Nate Lashley was making his way down the 18th fairway. You never know how tough you are until being tough is your only option. Um, that guy's been through a lot. And I really, to be completely frank with you, he shot a 67, I believe, in the first round of the U.S. Open. And with Fox covering pretty much first tee shot, the last man on the course, those first couple of days, and really all four days um, of their tournament coverage, yeah, I got to know the name Nate Lashley on Thursday because of that. But that's really, honestly, the first time I'd really heard his name. So to go from that to finding out the story and the tragedy and the loss, and you can only imagine what that does to somebody mentally and emotionally and how hard it is when everything seems to be trending in the right direction with your game, with your life, and so on, to be thrown that curveball. Um, wow. And it's taken him some time for reasons that we may never fully know. 
Um, and that's certainly not a small one to get to that moment, but to get to that stage to play that way uh, as an alternate, no less, into the field. That's where his status was on the PGA Tour. Yeah, thank you, David Bergano Jr. Uh, you'll be getting something in the mail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, did not Monday qualify. And we've talked in the past about how tough it is to Monday qualify these days um, on any tour. Not just the PGA Tour, but it's just as hard on those Corn Ferry Monday qualifiers to get into those fields. Um, wow. It, it really, for a guy that I hardly knew or was familiar with, because to a certain degree, you know, we on this podcast and any of the other guests that you have come on to this podcast to talk golf, the names that the casual viewer might not be familiar with, we are familiar with. Nate Lashley was one that sort of came out of left field for a lot of people and to be exposed to so much of his story in such a way and to see him overcome the demons I don't even know if they're demons but just the issues and the loss and the tragedy and to deliver in such a way down the stretch and for it to be in Detroit where Detroit has as a city its own overcoming adversity kind of story the way Detroit has kind of rebounded lately it, it, it Again, it's poetic. It kind of fits perfectly, and I thought that line from Nick Faldo was right on the money. Yeah, um, I'll just throw some love um, Patrick Cantley's way. Here's a guy, Jack's tournament, big stage, steps up in a big spot, gets the job done, um, and does it in, in, in an impressive fashion on the back nine. And then also to Rory and making that run at 59. Um, I really thought he was going to play better at uh, Pebble than he did. But uh, really an impressive uh, display of golf. Um, Can I go back to Patrick Cantlay for a second? Because if we want to talk about loss and overcoming adversity uh, with the back issues that Cantlay had, I mean, he was the all-everything kid that straight out of college shot 60 at Travelers. Um, and from there, kind of fell off the grid. Lost his best friend in a hit and run in California. Uh, had the back issues as well. Finally gets himself healthy. Finally gets himself back in a good place. Gets back out on the tour. And I don't know if it was on an exemption or conditional status when he got back out off that uh, injury issue. But at the Valspar, bar, with not much status in his pocket, went out there and finished second in Tampa that one year, and from that point forward, it has been a totally different story for Patrick Cantlay, and now, as you mentioned, it culminates in that win at the Memorial, had the win in Las Vegas, was the 69-hole leader at Augusta this year. That's another player, and I'm glad you mentioned it, um, that we're going to be hearing a lot more from over the next few years and perhaps a handful of years more. Here is the uh, current weather forecast Looking way out in the future for Royal Portrush. Showers on Thursday, 65, winds 12 miles per hour. Um, by the way, the, the, the weather channel has gotten very specific. They even have projected humidity levels, 79%. Not 78, not 77, but 79%, Sean. Friday, afternoon showers, 64, low 54. Saturday, partly cloudy, 65, low 54. Sunday, showers, 65, low 54. Winds 10 to 12 miles per hour sustained. Ah, it sounds, sounds very consistent, Sean. 
sounds delightful. <laughs> sounds absolutely delightful. Nice and cool and windy and soggy and rainy and well, just about everything that you would expect or think of an open championship over in the UK, doesn't it? I mean, that that <laughs> if you ask, that would be about what you would expect. And you know, going back to our previous point about Tiger and the back and the injuries and whatnot, can he maintain some sort of level? Can he come off of the nice round that he played on Sunday at the U.S. Open? Uh, he's taking that same approach between the U.S. Open and this tournament uh, coming up here with the Open Championship as he did between the Masters and PGA. Didn't work so well for him at Beth Page. We'll see how it works for him at uh, Royal Port Rush. And here's the deal. You know, as somebody who's dealt with his own fair share of back issues and whatnot, if it's cold and it's rainy and it's windy, that's not a good combination for a guy who's dealing with, in his case, multiple back surgeries, a bulky neck. Um, it's going to make all those joints, all those muscles, everything tighter, achier. And, you know, if he goes out there and he just doesn't look 100%, that's going to probably be, I don't want to speak in absolute, but I would, if I was a betting man, I would put my money on it if he doesn't look 100% and say that the colder, nastier weather is going to play a huge role in that. So that's something that, you know, it's not atypical for an Open Championship, but, you know, for folks that tune in here to your podcast and, you know, they enjoy the Tiger Talk, that would be something that, hey, if you're going to go out to Vegas and put money on a guy, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I would say to go on that one. Um, yeah. But I'll say this, the weather does not coincide well with somebody who's got back and neck issues. You gotta hope that the uh, religious trip that he took to Thailand, or or, or sorry, not the uh, uh, religious trip, but the family pilgrimage that he took to Thailand, um, was was worth. Well, obviously, it was worth it. But but you hope that the good vibes from that and taking uh, his mother back to her homeland carry over into good vibes uh, for Royal Portrush. Are you in Tallahassee or uh, or or Orlando at the moment? I am down in Orlando right now. 80? Oh, I might go back up to Tally soon, but Orlando right now. 80? Humidity 82%, heat index 87% under cloudy skies with thunderstorms in the area. I bet you would like 67 and light showers at the moment. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I, I hopped off the plane, so I, I will say this going back to, to Omaha for a second because you kind of segued me to it. Um, when I got out there, I hopped off the plane, and I think it was 58 degrees that morning that I hopped off the plane. And, you know, there are some people that, you know, again, we're flying from Orlando to Omaha um, that are hopping off the plane and going, oh, my gosh, like, this is beautiful. It, it was 98 degrees and humidity up around 80%. Heat index uh, just the past couple of days down here when it hasn't been overcast and cloudy and rainy has been up around 108 to 110. Ooh. Um, so to go from that to 58, relatively no humidity when I hopped off a plane in the morning was real nice. So to answer your question, I would love to be over in Royal Port Rush, A, because it's the open, and B, because that weather sounds like a great change of pace, even with the rain. Sean Davison uh, with us to talk a bunch of different things, including the weather. Uh, thank you as always, Sean. We will talk to you after the open uh, in two weeks. Sounds good to me. And thank you all for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling.